0: And welcome to the R3 Files podcast. I'm your host, Raymar, and I'll be your guide for another episode of Alternative Viewpoints. The R3 Files will help audiences rethink, reshape and reform ongoing narratives. I'd like to begin this episode with some initial thoughts underpinning the central idea of the success of failure and why it holds a significant position within the overall structure of my podcast before going into greater depth about success and failure as broader concepts. Throughout modern society, we've become accustomed to using the terms success and failure interchangeably, based on the general notion that they are mirrored or lateral connections. Mirrored in the sense that success is the polar opposite of failure, and lateral referring to the idea that one follows from the other or vice versa. So while we can all agree that both ideas are intertwined, my own viewpoint is that There is more fluidity and less of a binary divide between the two concepts. But this is a conclusion which has taken me many years to arrive at, because just like the vast majority of people, I too had tacitly accepted the established paradigm of success and failure without entertaining the possibility that there may actually be an alternative viewpoint. But herein lies the crux of the matter. Why should anyone challenge this accepted view of success or failure? After all, this is precisely what established views are designed to do, to maintain conformity within certain norms or standards. So let's start this discussion with a brief look at the origins of the word success. According to the study of etymology, which is a branch of linguistics and sources the history of a word from its earliest occurrence, The word success can be traced to the 1530s. It originates from the Latin sucedra, which means come after or follow after. It then transitioned to the word successus, which means a good result or happy outcome, before developing into the English word that we know it today, success. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines it in three ways. Firstly, a degree or measure of succeeding or a favourable or desired outcome, with reference to possibly the attainment of wealth, favour or eminence. Secondly, the definition describes it as one that succeeds. And thirdly, an outcome or result. And interestingly, the third version, outcome, is now considered to be obsolete. So why are definitions important? Because once the semantics of a word are altered, its meaning and connotation are imbued with a new scope involving suggestion, and emphasis is given to a new form of meaning. For instance, the word gay was commonly used in English literature during the 18th and 19th centuries to mean a sense of cheerfulness, carefree and bright, whereas in the modern context its primary meaning is in reference to a homosexual person or the trait of being homosexual. Hence, the word success became synonymous with financial advantage, wealth, and material trappings at some point after the Industrial Revolution and the earlier 20th century. So from this brief exercise, we realize that once the meaning of a word becomes standardized, we are automatically guided towards what the word in question should not mean. For example, the obsolete reference to success as an outcome result or accomplishment. So at this point, before embarking on the main introduction, I'll be introducing various personal dimensions throughout this episode which will act as sounding boards of juxtapositioned ideas to enhance the overall discussion. Let's start with background. I was born and raised in England to the parents of immigrants from North India and as is the case with any immigrant story, the idea of success was very important to my parents. They had both lived through the traumatic events of partition in India and experienced the grinding poverty of its aftermath. Moreover, most immigrant experiences are compounded by the added ordeal of adjusting to a new culture in terms of settlement difficulties. Hence, success in the form of job security, economic stability, Social status and prestige via the education of their children were issues which took precedence for my parents. Growing up in this environment, it's easy to understand why expectations were so high, and therefore any deviation from the path towards success was considered to be an undesirable outcome. During primary school, up until the age of 10, I excelled in all forms of study and was marked out as a gifted child. However, after the age of 10, once I joined secondary school, my academic experience took on a more wayward direction. I lost focus in my studies, experienced bullying for the first time, which in turn led to a severe inferiority complex. I found it very difficult to make friends or participate in activities. But most importantly, my academic grades took a complete nosedive, which was tantamount to heresy in the eyes of my parents who were first-generation immigrants. And this led to endless comparisons with the more academically successful children of friends and relatives. It was a deeply humiliating period of my life and led to a further downward spiral of lower grades, loss of self-esteem and the beginnings of a long period of ostracization from my parents. Essentially, between the ages of 10 to 20, I simply tagged along with the high expectations, listening to the daily lectures from my parents that hard work and dedication were the key ingredients to success, and it was imperative that I restored the family honour to avoid uncomfortable comparisons with the high achievers from my family's social circle. The only escape I found was to engage in rogue or miscreant activities, either at school or in my neighbourhood, such as petty thieving, which ultimately led to expulsion from two schools. But by this point, even my parents had given up because the encouragement from previous years had given way to a more toxic form of daily verbal abuse and derisory remarks. This included comments such as, You're a failure. You will always be a failure. You'll never amount to anything you're a disgrace to this family, and countless others which I prefer not to mention. After a certain point, a person becomes numb to the abuse, and the mind settles into a form of neural stasis where all negativity becomes internalized and is buried in a memory graveyard. However, by the age of 19, an unexpected miracle had occurred in relation to my academic future. The only explanation I have is that after failing so many times, the bitterness of failure had become too much to bear, and there was a marked turnaround. Because after that point, I never failed an academic exam again. All told, I earned two degrees at undergraduate and postgraduate level, and a couple of diplomas for good measure. Overall, although I had achieved a certain measure of academic success, at a later stage of my life, the after-effects of being indoctrinated as an example of failure remained with me and I retained this emotional baggage for many years to come. Indeed I found it very difficult to make and hold on to friendship. Socializing was a completely alien concept to me. I was considered to be an oddball in every respect such as work or social settings. But the deeper problems in terms of mental illness were yet to come sometimes referred to as the written troubles of the brain in Shakespeare's Macbeth. So at this stage, having shared a very brief and first glimpse of my personal dimension, I would like to turn the focus towards the main introduction to today's topic on success and failure by presenting a few introductory questions. To begin with, how would you define success? How do the people around you define success? Does having wealth or owning material possessions make someone successful? Does having a high paid job equate to success? Is prestige associated with success? Indeed to most people, success is measured through their visual senses, via monetary terms or by high value possessions such as cars, houses and jewelry. Another view is that success is achieved through self belief by facing various challenges with an attitude of determination. This approach requires reaching into one's innermost self to find strength and courage. It involves using a focused attitude to enable positive changes and find self-contentment for personal achievements and ultimately a realization that success does not stem from what others believe about you. Others would argue that a truly successful person is someone who can assess their accomplishments and the struggle required to achieve them, perhaps realising that they did not succumb to pressure despite facing a challenging period. And these opposing views are very subjective in nature and they can only be truly explored by the person submitting the question. But whichever view one abides by, these perspectives are usually divided into two camps. The first is that having an abundance of money, a large house and a posh car means success and this is derived from what others perceive about you as an individual. The second approach is a vision of self-contentment in life. This implies that success is derived from what you believe about yourself and one's ability to overcome personal setbacks. So then why does our definition of success matter? We can answer this question partly because of the overarching emphasis given to financial success in contemporary society, but also because many people define success in the wrong way. By setting unrealistic goals and branding themselves a failure from society's perspective that is, especially if those goals have not been achieved. Although there is nothing incorrect about defining success via financial or material goals, there is however much more to consider such as adopting a balanced approach to life which means enjoying individual successes despite various ups and downs. Hence, by looking at some common definitions of success, we arrive at four broad categories. Each are important in their own way and should be considered when developing one's definition of success. The first definition is financial success. This refers to the amount of income that you generate as well as the material things that you own. A desire to live comfortably and grow one's wealth is clearly an aspiration of many people, regardless of their income bracket. However, choosing financial success as one's exclusive definition creates a blinkered viewpoint and often ignores other possibilities. The second definition is positional success, and this refers to having a position that provides power and control. Many people consider this to be a route to success and power because they may be naturally goal-orientated, but again it creates a blinkered or unbalanced viewpoint which ignores a host of personal opportunities. The third definition is relationship success. Many people strive for a work-life balance and view their family and social bonds to be the most important aspect of their decision-making. By nurturing close relationships, large swathes of people may consider taking a job which is close to home but pays less in order to spend more time with their family. However, this can be a double-edged sword because if the job does not meet certain financial criteria, it can also place a strain on relationships as well. The fourth definition is development success and this refers to what we do for ourselves and for others in a Fulfilling manner. Many people enjoy the benefits of learning through self development, and many people enjoy giving back to others through volunteering as a means of nurturing success. But this form of success is often overlooked because there is no immediate financial reward, although participation is considered to be an excellent measure of success in itself. So, having looked at the broad definitions of success, this provides a useful insight when asking. What is the prevailing view of success and failure? Many people define success by comparing themselves to wealthy and powerful elites such as pop stars, A-list celebrities, social influencers, high-profile CEOs and politicians, perhaps because these people possess material wealth in abundance and exude the trappings of success. However, a balanced definition of success should be Also, incorporate ideas such as self fulfillment and self development, even as we experience ups and downs in life, such that the most important factors for success are not judged solely in material terms but through the relationships maintained with others, and consideration is also given to the greater good of others. But despite this all embracing definition, Society rarely rewards defeat, and even the annals of history will seldom document the most glaring failures. The only exceptions are those failures that become stepping stones to later success, such as Thomas Edison's memorable invention, the electric light bulb, which apparently took 1,000 attempts before he developed a successful prototype. And when asked by a reporter how it felt to fail 1,000 times, he replied, I didn't fail 1,000 times. The light bulb was an invention with 1,000 steps. But unlike Edison, most people actively avoid the prospect of failure, and because we are intent on not failing, we actually don't aim for success, settling instead for a meager goal of mediocrity. And when we do make errors, we highlight over them, editing the mistakes to avoid closer scrutiny in ron howard's nineteen ninety five movie apollo thirteen the character of gene kranz who was nasa's director of flight operations utters the memorable line failure is not an option this particular phrase epitomizes the mindset of our modern success-oriented society where failure is simply not entertained because It represents weakness or deficiency. This is a view held by Catherine Schultz, author of Being Wrong, Adventures in the Margin of Error. She argues, quote, it is our meta-mistake. We are wrong about what it means to be wrong. Far from being a sign of intellectual inferiority, the capacity to err is crucial to human cognition, unquote. And that's because Catherine Schultz believes failure is a great motivator. When we look closely at the great minds throughout history from the likes of Confucius who believed that, quote, our greatest glory is not in never failing, but in rising every time we fail, or American author Dale Carnegie stating, quote, develop success from failures, discouragement and failure are two of the surest stepping stones to success, end quote. These ideals provide an insight into the willingness to embrace failure from an already established line of thought. However, the dominant corporate culture of the post-industrial age argues against failure and defeat, because it's perceived to be a sickness or deviancy which affects both individual and society. This viewpoint is immortalized by Winston Churchill's famous words, We shall never surrender. These thought patterns are indoctrinated from our childhood by having to sit tests and exams. As a society, we see failure as detrimental to our overall success. From a young age, we're taught to avoid failure. In school, we aim to get A grade so that we can get into a good university or receive a good job offer after college. We avoid getting an F because there's a stigma of negativity associated with it. Most students live in fear of failing tests, subjects and grades, thereby staying behind to repeat the school year. Even the letter grading system which uses F is unique. F as a grade is not given a corresponding percentage score and the letter itself correlates directly to its actual meaning, failure, which is designed for the sole purpose to erode morale. And it's a subtle way of reminding us that failure is destructive and by... Embedding it in our mind, we treat it as a form of deviancy. The inherent flaw with this destructive approach is that no corporate business or individual career ever runs smoothly because making mistakes is inevitable. And this has been clearly documented by the business trajectories of companies such as Netflix or Amazon, which were initially loss making entities before their fortunes turned. In both cases, it was the early mistakes during the development phase that laid the foundation for future success. But ironically, in today's globalized economy, many corporations are taking a leaf out of the books of progressive employers such as Intuit, the accounting software company, which famously boasted, we celebrate failure. Intuit's co-founder, Scott Cook, believes, quote, every failure teaches us something important that can be the seed for the next great idea, unquote. This is also true of other trailblazers who have celebrated failure, such as Richard Branson of Virgin Atlantic with his adventures in hot air ballooning during the 1980s. Although many of his record breaking attempts ended in failure, his cavalier approach represented a hallmark of the company's no fear philosophy, whereby great success and great risk go hand in hand, and failure is seen as a natural outcome. By the same token, there are many others successful people who have experienced failure. For example, Michael Jordan is widely regarded as one of the greatest basketball players of all time, and yet he was dropped from his high school basketball team because his coach didn't think he was good enough. Warren Buffett is one of the world's richest and most successful investors, but he was rejected by Harvard University. So now that we have some context in terms of the dominant view of success and failure, which incidentally, is prevalent not only in Western society, but has adopted a more global footing, I'd like to examine some of the reasons why failure is considered to be detrimental by first looking at the reasons which help us to explain the fear of failure. But first, it's necessary to establish the meaning behind the term failure. According to the Merriam-Webster dictionary, failure can be defined as a lack of success and is best conceptualized as a deviation from expected and desired results, whereas success refers to a sense of achievement or accomplishment. And this reveals that failure is indeed a complex topic with multiple layers of meaning. Indeed, people adopt various definitions of failure simply because they have different benchmarks, values and belief systems. A failure for one person might simply be a great learning experience to someone else. Many of us are afraid of failing, but fear of failure is something else entirely. It's when we allow that fear to stop us doing the things which move us forward to achieve our goals. Fear of failure can be linked to many causes, such as having critical or unsupportive parents, or being routinely undermined or humiliated in childhood, and therefore carrying those negative feelings into adulthood. Experiencing a traumatic event at some point in your life can also be a cause, For example, let's say several years ago you gave an important presentation in front of a large group of people and performed very poorly. That experience might have been so terrible that you became afraid of failing in other things and you still carry that fear years later. And in the following section I'd like to introduce another personal dimension which will help to shed further light on this subject matter. In 2019 I embarked on a very personal journey in setting up a service business which was closely aligned to the real estate industry, and as is my nature, I carried out extensive research into the particular market sector, customer profiling, growth trends, and future sustainability. The business entity was structured as a corporation, and operations were conducted via two directors, one being myself and the other was someone who I knew very closely. In the two years prior to launch, we had built a small customer base and carried out many service consultations for a variety of clients. Hence the venture was methodically researched both from a financial and marketing perspective. For the first year of trading our turnover was very encouraging and the business produced a profit. However as we entered 2020 events changed drastically due to COVID events. Although the real estate market was still operating albeit in reduced volumes, bookings however for consultancies had taken a huge hit due to the unique nature of the COVID situation. Consequently, clients began drifting away, most notably in the commercial and B2B sectors due to uncertainty and problems in their own market sectors. By early 2021, in the midst of an unprecedented wave of lockdowns and social distancing mandates, market conditions had taken a drastic downturn and our existing client base deteriorated so much that the phone simply stopped ringing. Although the business structure remained intact for another year, by this stage the writing was on the wall and it was under these circumstances that we were forced to begin proceedings to dissolve the corporation. Now for anyone who has experienced the forcible closure of a business, they will completely understand my sentiments in terms of an overwhelming sense of loss, not just financial but emotional. It's very similar to grief because not only is there a physical loss, there is a deep emotional shock which reverberates for months and even years. Also there is a psychological trauma experienced due to the loss of status involved accompanied by a constant search for meaning and purpose. Furthermore a pervasive emptiness endures which is interrupted only by the knocking of casual sounds such as how, why, what if, what now. So, in order to recover from this type of setback, most people would cope by simply speaking to their existing circle of friends and contacts to recover and find a way forward. However, those who experience mental illness suffer a double whammy due to the specific nature of their symptoms. For instance, my situation is compounded further because one of the hallmarks of my condition is a deep sense of mistrust towards others and a pervasive fear of being undermined and humiliated. Therefore, asking for help and connecting with people is extremely difficult due to the reasons outlined. In addition, there is another factor which compounds the situation, thus creating a triple whammy, and this is the age factor. As someone who has been self-employed for the majority of his working life, there is a certain mindset which accompanies this type of career choice in terms of mental toughness and discipline. For instance, my first venture into self employment was in my mid 20s as a franchise operator, which I carried out for three years. I then moved on to a completely organic startup business within the printing and stationery sector, which I successfully operated and managed for 15 years. I then became a property manager before emigrating to Canada. So there was a regular pattern of starting new projects and building a career out of something completely new and unrelated to the previous experience. Hence, starting over for someone accustomed to the rigorous life of self-employment was not a barrier to progression and neither was the age factor. However, by the time I came to Canada, I had to start all over again. Only this time, my ability to launch myself into something new had taken a severe knock. Firstly, the fire in the belly and the passion to pursue the standardized version of success just wasn't there anymore. Also the move itself was physically and emotionally draining and if you ask anyone who's had to relocate they will vouch for this because moving from one city to another is stressful enough because of the burden of making and breaking ties but moving countries is an altogether different ballgame. It's also important to remember that There is an inverse relationship between age and an individual's risk tolerance. In other words, as age increases, we have a lower propensity to take on more risk. So in terms of experience, I had the right credentials to pursue another area of self-employment, such as another franchise opportunity. But something major was holding me back. I identified this obstacle as the fear of failure, which was mentioned earlier in the previous section. And so, in the next section, I'd like to explore the reasons behind the fear of failure in more depth. I'd like to start by examining various perspectives which cause failure. And I'll be examining both psychological and sociological factors. The first perspective is life traps. This refers to unsatisfactory relationships, a lack of self esteem, feelings of being unfulfilled, and defeatist behaviour. These patterns usually begin in early childhood and repeat themselves through self-perpetuating cycles. Essentially, they refer to personality patterns from psychological trauma caused during a person's formative years. Trauma can be defined as being abandoned, criticized, overprotected, abused, excluded or deprived. And eventually, life traps become part of an individual's behavior pattern. In order to change these life traps, individuals must be able to recognize them and understand their origins. Otherwise, they dictate how a person thinks, acts and relates to others. Life traps can also trigger strong feelings such as anger, sadness and anxiety. Even where individuals appear to have everything such as social status, an ideal marriage, the respect of people around them, career success... Those affected are still unable to enjoy life or believe in their potential accomplishments. Life traps manifest in one's personal life and during their career path. Some life traps cause individuals to fail because they translate into a sense of inadequacy regarding areas of achievement such as school, work and sports. Life traps can represent a sense of failure relative to one's peers because when Children are made to feel inferior through poor achievement, this causes them to perpetuate this pattern of failure until they reach adulthood. During one's adult life, traps are reinforced by exaggerating the degree of past failures and by acting in ways that ensure a cycle of continuous failure. The concept of life traps has had a strong influence on my own experience, especially where failure is communicated through various sources such as family and other figures of authority, especially during early childhood when it becomes deeply embedded in one's thought patterns. The second perspective is low self-esteem or self-confidence. This is commonly expressed through negative statements such as, I don't have the talent to get that promotion or I'll never be good enough to get on that team. Positive self-esteem creates a feeling of security in terms of one's self-worth and in relation to various social or work situations. The opposite of this feeling is low self-esteem where an individual feels insecure. Failure creates low self-esteem and causes a lack of self-confidence in vulnerable areas such as intimate relationships, social situations or in workplace. Low self-esteem and failure are invariably linked and correspond to a sense of unworthiness, inadequate achievement and substandard work. Those affected experience poor success, a sense of feeling less talented or less intelligent than their peers. In addition, there is a reluctance to try new things or get involved in challenging projects. Self-esteem, or the lack of it, points inward to your own personal reputation, and by its very nature it requires an understanding of the level or standards being used to judge an individual. Overall, Both life traps and self-esteem are long-term patterns and are deeply ingrained, very similar to addictions and therefore hard to change. But equally, the first steps towards change require the willingness to experience a certain threshold of pain and discipline. Drawing from my own experience, low self-esteem and self-confidence are two issues which I have grappled with throughout my entire life. To many outsiders, this may seem absurd and almost paradoxical, given that it requires an enormous amount of self-belief to operate and manage a successful business. However, the various types of mental illness are highly complex in nature, which means that there is a duality to many of the prescribed symptoms. And the third perspective is self-sabotage. The most common symptoms of this condition include stopping short of success. Typical scenarios include financial insecurity, feeling like a failure even if you're succeeding, Finding it easy to start things but hard to finish them, staying in a work role that does not require the full use of your talents or skills, or perhaps a failure to follow through with goals. Self-sabotage is often manifested through procrastination or excessive anxiety, and by taking a leaf out of my own book, my own experience points to strong evidence of self-sabotage throughout my life, most notably in situations where self-preservation is involved. Examples include self-sabotage at job interviews to avoid a situation which may not be personally advantageous, or in social settings where the road ahead seems uncertain, threatening, or may involve the possibility of being humiliated. The fourth perspective is perfectionism. This is a propensity to try only those things that you know you will finish perfectly and successfully. Again, this is an issue which is very nuanced. Many of my successful attributes involve an element of perfectionism such as going the extra mile to complete a job and to never attempt anything with a half-hearted approach. Equally though, achieving perfection is an illusory ideal which carries with it procrastination, an inordinate amount of delay as well as burgeoning inefficiencies. Hence, by reviewing the various psychological and sociological perspectives which we have just mentioned, We discover that it is almost impossible to go through life without experiencing some kind of failure. But the interesting point is, from which perspective do we choose to view it? We can choose to see failure metaphorically as the end of the line or as a superb learning experience because each time we fail at something we search for the lesson that we were supposed to learn. These lessons are important because they allow individuals to learn and grow and to avoid making similar mistakes again. Therefore, at this stage, the immediate question which comes to mind is how do we begin to analyse the previous in-depth information? But at this particular point, I would like to ask the listeners to hold that thought because that's all we have time for in today's episode. But there's much more to come in the next instalment. Many thanks for listening to the R3 Filed podcast with your host Raymar. I really appreciated your company today. And as always, I'll see you next time in another time and place.